Hi, and welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. We have a special episode for you this week. We're taking a closer look at anxiety. It's something we all feel from time to time. Sooner or later, you will face a situation that makes you feel anxious. But anxiety is also the most common mental health problem, with several different types, including generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and different phobias. Researchers estimate that almost one-third of adults and one-third of teens in America has an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. Anxiety affects more than just your mental health. Even everyday worrying can change how you feel physically. When you're stressed, part of your nervous system goes into fight-or-flight mode, the same response it would have if you were being attacked or chased. That triggers the release of stress hormones like cortisol. They can raise your blood sugar and triglycerides. They can also cause the physical reactions you might associate with stress, like dry mouth, a racing heartbeat, fast breathing, sweating, and trembling. If you're chronically anxious, high levels of those stress hormones can lead to other health problems, such as a suppressed immune system, digestive problems, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, heart attack, and coronary artery disease. And while too much anxiety is clearly a bad thing, a bit of it is good. After all, it keeps us tuned in and aware of our surroundings. So where do we draw the line? To answer that question, we reached out to Seth Gillihan. He's a psychologist in Haverford, Pennsylvania, and a clinical assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Gillihan, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here, Carrie. Thank you. Everyone experiences anxiety in some form throughout their life. Give us an idea of what's normal when it comes to anxiety. Yeah, great place to start because anxiety is perfectly normal. It's something I think all of us experience. And you know, anytime there's something that we care about and we don't know how it's going to turn out, then you know there's that that uncertainty involved. And so we, we tend to feel a little anxiety about that. I, I like to think of it as kind of a yellow light like it's, it's a warning that there might be some kind of problem or danger down the road. It'd be a problem if, if we always went from green light, things are good, to red light, oh no, things are terrible. We're built in with this system for detecting things before they actually happen so we can think ahead and, and see, you know, problems might come up or things that might go wrong. You know, a friend of mine in college described it, this, this really helped me, he described anxiety as the energy to do your best in a new situation. Hmm. which I loved because it emphasizes that it's a really normal response. And it can also change our relationship with the fact that we're anxious, which can decrease our anxiety for not feeling like, oh, no, I'm anxious. This is bad. I have to stop being anxious. So if I'm going on a first date, it makes sense to be a little a little nervous about that. Or if I see a, a big, unfamiliar dog, you know, it's probably a good thing to be a little anxious. So I might end up avoiding danger. So those are all very normal kinds of anxiety. And on the other side of that, when does it turn the corner from a normal level to a bigger mental health problem? Well, there, there are different signs. One, one thing we'll see is it's really out of proportion to the, the actual or, or you know, potential threat. So if I'm terrified of all dogs, even you know, tiny, really friendly ones, then that's, that's probably going to be a, a problem. If it's you know, getting in the way of how I'm actually doing, like you know, back to the date example, if it, it makes sense to be a little, you know, maybe sweat a little bit and, and not be completely articulate on a first date. But if I'm you know, pouring sweat and I you know, really can't hold a nice conversation because I'm so preoccupied with, you know, does this person like me? How am I coming across? Then that's really starting to get in the way 
So we'll see a lot of distress in the person that's going to be suffering in some way, probably feeling overwhelmed by the anxiety. And the biggest problem with anxiety is when it starts to limit our life, when we start avoiding things because they cause anxiety and because avoiding them gets us, at least temporarily, away from that anxiety. And the, the problem is that it, it tends to grow, the, the anxiety tends to spread the more we avoid. And so our lives can really get shut down if, once we start avoiding things because of anxiety. And it seems like anxiety is sort of having a moment right now culturally. It seems everyone is very aware of anxiety, their own anxiety, or in other people. Do you think that affects how people view anxiety or how they experience it? That's a great question. I think there, there certainly is. I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. It's kind of having its moment. There's this awareness of anxiety and stress and, and wanting to control those things. But I, I think, as you're suggesting, it it can become problematic if we see anxiety as the enemy and we see our job as as being to eliminate all anxiety, which isn't realistic, and it just makes us feel more more anxious and out of control rather than accepting, all right, I'm going to be anxious sometimes, and most of the time it doesn't mean I can't still take care of what I need to. If you yourself are feeling like you want to try to get your anxiety under control, what kind of options do you have? Well, I, mean, I think one of the most helpful things for a lot of us is you know, to start with just talking about it, you know, giving voice to to our anxiety, kind of getting it out of our heads and, and uh, you know, connecting with someone who can make us feel supported and heard and validated. That can be really useful. You know, in my clinical practice, there, there are three main approaches I rely on, and, and of course I use these in my own life as well. So I, I use the, the, the phrase think, act, be as a, a summary of these three approaches. The think, that's the, it comes from the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy, that's to really take a look at the thoughts that are driving anxiety and see if they actually make sense. The act part, that's the behavioral part, that's just facing our fears gradually, systematically over time, and it gets easier. So we start with things that are, that are more manageable and then work up to bigger ones, like if it's dogs, maybe you start with a chihuahua and then work your way up through boxers and then to, to St. Bernard's or something. And that gives us powerful feedback that we can face down our fears. We see ourselves facing the things we're afraid of, and that changes our relationship with anxiety. And the final part, B, that's uh, mindfulness. So that's just the idea of coming into the present because anxiety really is about the future. And you know, the acceptance part of mindfulness, I think, is really crucial, too, because you know, going back to this idea of anxiety as an alarm, it's telling us something is wrong and, and you have to do something about it. You can't let this thing happen. And so if I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be late, for example, and I think I, I, I can't be late, I must not be late, and I'm going to feel more tense and more anxious, if I take a breath and I focus on the moment and I say, you know what, I might be late, that's a possible outcome, then I, I decrease that resistance to what I'm afraid of and I can defuse that anxiety. When would someone want to pursue more of like a medication route for anxiety? Is that a treatment option that a lot of people ask you about, or do they tend to want to pursue more of the cognitive behavioral therapy first? You know, it varies a lot, Carrie. There are people who come to me who are already on medication for anxiety. There are people who 
are not, and they, they don't want to be on medication. And then some people come and we do some work, but they feel like they could get some help with some, some medication as well. So I work with people kind of in all of those, of those phases. And, uh, and there are medications that can be, that can be helpful for really intense anxiety, a, a short term option that a lot of people try. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't prescribe medication, but, but medications called benzodiazepines. These are things like Xanax and Klonopin are quite effective at, at dampening anxiety. They go straight to the receptors that uh, kind of turn down the, the activity in the nervous system. So those are really effective, but they're not intended for long-term use. So uh, for long-term, people are more likely to take the, the so-called antidepressants, which actually are just as effective for, for treating a lot of kinds of anxiety too. These are things like Prozac and Zoloft and other medications people hear about all the time for depression. I see. And how do you help someone weigh which option would be the best for them to pursue? Yeah, great question. You know, it, it varies a lot by the individual. Some people are really determined not to uh, not to take medication. They just don't want to for one reason or another. And so, you know, in that case, then we'll work as much as we can on the, the therapy side. And a lot of people get relief, you know, just through therapy. If someone has, is really working as much as they can, doing everything they can therapy-wise, and still their nervous system, for whatever reason, is just on high alert, then you know that might be a, a, another conversation about you know is this a time to uh, to consider medication to you know maybe allow you to do some of the work that's been hard to do in therapy as a, a kind of short-term option and then other people may need to be on medication for longer term depending on the the condition and the person. So let's say you are uh, in a situation and you feel your anxiety starting to ramp up. What can you do in the moment? to sort of prevent anxiety from taking hold of you? The number one thing to start with is just to keep breathing. And it sounds obvious, but our, our breath and our nervous system have this intimate connection where when we start to get anxious, our, our breathing tends to get shallow. It tends to get, uh, it tends to be more, more in our chest. And so just by slowing down the breath and maybe focusing on the breath for a few moments, that can start to dampen some of that anxiety. And it gives us something to focus on and something that we feel like we do have some control over, you know, if we don't have complete control over the anxiety. I always emphasize that we don't want to think of the breath as a way to stop anxiety because that can just be a recipe for setting us up for, you know, trying it and thinking, you know, if, if it doesn't help, oh no, it's not working and now I'm feeling more anxious. But, you know, this is a way to have something else to focus on when anxiety starts to get intense. And so we'll often practice practice things when a person is not in a really high anxiety state, things like a mindful minute. So there's an exercise I like called, I call it seven breaths for myself, other people it's a different number, but what it is is you time yourself how many slow, relaxing breaths you take within a minute. And then when you do find yourself starting to ramp up, then if you remember to, you, you pause and you take that number of breaths, you just focus on the breath, you count the breaths. So it tends to draw the energy away from whatever the fear and the, and the anxiety is about and just slow things down. Or we can eat something with full awareness, you know, peel a, a tangerine and notice every sensation as you're eating it. 
So this slowing things down is really going to challenge the sense of it's an emergency and I have to do something about it right now. So we might might take that kind of brief pause. We just want to be careful of, of allowing it then to extend into avoidance, as we talked about before, that that can, can become a kind of self-perpetuating cycle. And then once things are, are calmed down, then, you know, if it's, let's say it's an overwhelming list of things I have to take care of or exams that are coming up, I just want to make a plan and break things down and make sure that I've broken things into manageable pieces so that it feels, as I look at it, it feels like something that I can do so I don't feel so anxious about being able to take care of my responsibilities. Dr. Gillihan, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Someone you love is having a panic attack. What should you do? There is a best way to help. In the moment, stay calm. It'll help them keep their cool if they see you keeping yours. And stay put. Most panic attacks wind down in 20 to 30 minutes. Stick around and help your friend ride it out. Stay positive, too. Don't minimize what's happening or blame them for it. The panic is real to them, and the panic attack isn't their fault. And stay out of the way. Don't try to help them avoid triggers. It could make the anxiety worse and raise the odds for more attacks later. When it's over, ask questions. This can help them think about what triggered the attack. You could try things like, how many times has this happened to you? Or, what did you think was going to happen? And what actually happened? It'll also help reinforce that their worst fears didn't come true and that they've made it through panic attacks before. Then talk about getting help. If the panic attacks are taking a toll on your friend's work or home life, they need to see a trained mental health professional. Treatment options include exposure therapy. That's when your friend will relive or confront what makes them panic in a controlled environment. Over time, they'll learn how to deal with those feelings. They can also try cognitive therapy. This teaches different ways of thinking. It'll help them create a new response to the fearful situation. Remember, panic disorder is treatable. And in the moment, you'll help the most by being patient and understanding. Most of us dread that feeling of anxiety, whether it's about work, a relationship, or a tough decision you have to make. But what if you could take anxiety and turn it to your advantage, harness its power as a resource? That's the approach Dr. Alicia Clark, a psychologist in Washington, D.C., is advocating. Instead of finding ways to mute anxiety or get rid of it altogether, she suggests that you can embrace it, that it may even end up being useful. She's written a book called Hack Your Anxiety, How to Make Anxiety Work for You in Life, Love, and All That You Do. And she's joining us today to talk about it. Dr. Clark, welcome to Health Now. Thanks so much, Carrie. It's great to be here. Almost all of the current treatments for anxiety are really focused on getting rid of it. Why do you argue that that's not the only way and maybe not even the best way to handle anxiety? That's a great opening question. You know, what I've been seeing is that in trying to overcome anxiety, we're actually making ourselves more anxious than ever. We're becoming an over-pathologized nation, making everything negative or a problem. And anxiety is a byproduct of that way of thinking, I find. People come in concerned that they feel 
any anxiety, that they feel uncomfortable, that they feel worried. They've identified it and maybe other people have identified it and they start to get worried about their own experience. And one of the first things I tell people is that, you know, anxiety isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's it's hardwired. It's a natural warning system that's been with us since the beginning of our human evolution. Um, it's always there telling us something that's important. We only feel it when we care about something. And it's a great motivator to help us solve problems. It doesn't need to be a bad thing. If we can look at it a little a little differently, if we can take a broader view of anxiety in general, I find that people are better able to use it, use it to help them. A good example of this a constant place where many of us can feel anxiety is in our relationships. It could be a work relationship, a personal relationship. It's easy to get worried about what people think about us, if we're comfortable in our environments with the people around us, and to wonder what that means. And that's a really important signal to listen to that maybe our relationships are worth worrying about. Of, of course they are, by the way. We care deeply about our relationships. But when we listen to what our anxiety might be telling us, instead of worrying that we're anxious at all, we can clue into what we need to do to either make the relationship better or maybe consider that the relationship isn't the right relationship. These are not always the questions that we want to ask ourselves or answer, frankly, but but they are the questions to ask. And when we get stuck in worrying about our anxiety, we miss its deeper meaning. And you, you, you mentioned worrying about anxiety. I know you've talked before about how sometimes it's not anxiety itself that's the problem, but the fear of it. Why is that? It's another thing that I've noticed is that when we are anxious about anything, it could be our own emotional experience, it could be our physical experience, like a symptom of any kind, or anxiety itself, we make that experience worse. We, we increase its volume. That's one of the expressions I use, is that anxiety is like a volume control. And when you add anxiety to anxiety, you get more intense anxiety. And one of the ways that this can really become problematic is for people who wrestle with more severe forms of anxiety. And this, this can happen in panic. Actually, this is how panic happens, is that anxiety comes on, we feel it coming, and in feeling it coming, we start getting afraid of it. We get afraid of, of the anxiety, we get afraid of our experience. Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh my gosh, it's coming, what am I gonna do? And it's like a big wave coming and standing you know, firmly, rigidly tall, and then the wave's gonna knock you over. Anxiety is like that if we resist it and fear it. We will amplify it and it will and it will overtake us autonomically. Whereas if we can take a more relaxed approach, if we can at least take an approach of I am not going to fight it, it's not going to hurt me, I can handle this, even if it's inconvenient, even if this is not the right time to be feeling anxiety or I wish I didn't feel it, I know I can deal with it. And in dealing with it and in knowing I can deal with it, I'm going to stop it from becoming any worse. And this is one of the first things that I try to teach people when they come in with any sort of excessive anxiety is that in fearing your anxiety or in worrying about your anxiety or resisting it, you're actually making it worse. 
and and that's one of the things that that I worry about with so many with so much of what I think people hear about anxiety is get rid of it. It's we shouldn't have it. We should all be calmer and more relaxed. It from from the get go, it invites people to pathologize what I think can be an awfully normal experience. So just restoring that with with folks is one of my first steps. Absolutely. And I just want to clarify, what level of anxiety are we talking about here? There's the kind that most of us will feel at some point in life, but many people have actual diagnosed anxiety or panic disorders that make it hard to just kind of get through daily life. So what level of anxiety has the potential to be helpful and when is it truly detrimental? So that's a really good question. Distinguishing between normal or moderate forms of anxiety, even if uncomfortable, and actual anxiety disorders is a really important distinction for people to make. Anxiety disorders are diagnosed as such when they get in the way of functioning. So when when you can't go about your everyday life, when you can't get through a meeting without sweating, when you can't get to bed because your thoughts keep you up for hours and hours in the middle of the night. These are places where anxiety is really not very helpful. It's circling back on itself in a rather destructive way. Everybody's anxiety is different. All these examples are a little bit different. But one overarching thing I can say is that the kind of anxiety that's helpful is the moderate anxiety. It's the kind of anxiety that you feel it's uncomfortable, you can't ignore it, It's definitely there, but it's also not stopping you from living your life. It's actually fueling you to stay on your best effort, to stay on your toes, if you will. This is the kind of moderate anxiety that's tied to optimal performance in athletes, for example, in people who are in a state of flow. That's another business term around productivity that's used a lot. And it's even something that can help you be at your best, even a superpower. Emma Stone, two weeks ago, came out and called her anxiety at its best, her superpower. So, you know, it clues us into the things that we really care about. It fuels focus. According to research, it it actually does fuel our focus and not distraction. And it also motivates us to stay on task and, and keep it channeled. And when we can stay in that loop and and channel it into productive action, we're really at our best. And that is moderate anxiety working for us. So how would someone do that? How would someone tap into their anxiety and turn it into a tool? Give us an example of how someone could use that strategy in everyday life. A work example sort of comes to mind. You're at your desk and you're working towards a deadline, but your attention is fading, your energy might be fading. You also then are at the same time worrying about meeting the deadline and the anxiety is ramping up as the deadline is approaching. And you've got a choice there in terms of, are you gonna get spooked about your anxiety and get worried about your anxiety and let it ramp up even more? Or can you see your anxiety as something that is actually helping you to stay on task, is actually helping you to continue to think through the problem, is helping you to keep working even as you're tired and even as you would rather not be working. That's kind of the quintessential good work example. A more personal example would be, let's say your kid is, 
well, I know this from being from being in my own house with teenage kids. When I don't hear anything from them for a while, it's usually a very quiet signal that I should go check on them and see what they're doing. This can be true for little kids too. Anybody with small children knows that right. you stop being able to hear them. A quiet house is kind of a kind of a warning sign. <laughs> it's a scary sign. house, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so good to use that anxiety and go check it out. It's not irrational anxiety that you have as, uh-oh, I'm not hearing my kid, what are they doing? And then a final example that comes up a lot in my practice is health anxieties. This sort of whispering anxiety of, I'm worried about this health issue and I need to get to the doctor, but I'm not getting to the doctor. I'm not eating or exercising the way I should and I keep not doing what I need to be doing. That kind of anxiety that could be as little as I just want to stay in shape or be healthy all the way to I have something that's scaring me that I'm not, that I'm maybe not addressing. That kind of anxiety is another way that I think serves us quite well because it doesn't, it doesn't stop firing until we do something about it, until we get something checked out or we change our behavior or we make a change that is needed. A very interesting and informative view of anxiety. Dr. Clark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Carrie. It was a pleasure. Our tweak of the week is one you can use whenever anxiety starts to take hold. Follow the 333 rule. Look around you and name three things you see, then three sounds you hear, and then move three parts of your body. This mental trick can help you slow down your racing mind and get you centered in the present moment. That's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed our special look at anxiety. If you can, take a minute to rate and review the show so that others can find out about all our great episodes. Thanks, and talk to you next time.